Well, glad to be back after a little week of vacation. Jeannie and I went off to celebrate our 39th wedding anniversary. So, um, <laughs> had, had to spend most of the time negotiating for the next year, um, <laughs> getting her to sign up one more time. So we just try to make the 40th. So that's some tough negotiating, I'm telling you, man. So, but it's, but it's, uh, it's good to be back. And uh, trust your summer is going uh, well or off to a good start. When I was a kid, when it was summer, we could play outside until it was dark. Now, that was the word, until it's dark. Not a, a specific time, but until it was dark, which led to some interesting conversations. When is it dark? Okay? Is it dark when the sun goes down? Well, not exactly, because there's still light. It's not totally dark. Is it dark when you can see the stars? Well, what if it's cloudy? We finally figured out that it is dark when Mama gets mad. <laughs> it's funny, isn't it? Dark creeps up on you. The change is so slow, so subtle, that all of a sudden you don't realize how dark it really is. So when does it get dark? When people no longer believe the gospel? when people no longer share it, when the gospel is no longer preached, when does it get dark? Jesus warned us that while it is still light, we have to do the work of the one who sent us because soon it will be dark and nobody can work. So when does it get dark? It's one of the things that hit Jesus in the 23rd chapter of Matthew. Stand with me in honor of God's word as we read this familiar story. Verse 37, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. How often I wanted to gather your children as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. This is God's word for God's people. Hear it, believe it, and live. Let's pray together. It must have caught your disciples off guard as they were walking with you, and your heart suddenly broke for Jerusalem. the same way it would catch us off guard if we knew how your heart broke 
from Brentwood, Nashville, and all the communities surrounding Middle Tennessee. We know that it will soon be dark, and we won't be able to work. Until then, Jesus, break our hearts so that, that we won't be able to sit still. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Matthew places a story in a very interesting place. Right before Jesus condemns the religious leaders uh, of the day, those who were attacking him and who were challenging his message, he called them blind guides. He called them hypocrites. He called them, he said, you put uh, unbearable rules on people's lives, but then you will not obey these rules yourselves. You've always got an out. You've always got an alternative understanding so that you don't have to do the hard things that you ask your people to do. In fact, you make it so hard that most people have simply given up. And the consequences of these false teachings, the consequences of these lies are devastating. Not only for life in eternity, not only for life before God and the judgment day, but for now, because there is a truth to the teachings of God and a truth to the teachings of Christ that make living now meaningful, purposeful, joyful. Right after this message, this, 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 this passage, Jesus talks to the disciples about the second coming. He tells them, as they come into Jerusalem, and the disciples mostly are, are guys mostly from rural areas are overwhelmed by the beauty of Jerusalem and, and the great stones that have constructed the walls and the temple there, and they are overwhelmed and they say, wow, look at this place, how beautiful it is. Look at the size of these stones. And Jesus surprisingly says, there'll come a day, guys, when there literally will not be one stone left on top of the other. This prophecy came true in A.D. 70 when the Roman legions conquered Jerusalem, destroyed the city, and literally pushed down, pushed off the stones of the wall onto the ground below the wall. In fact, if you go there now, you can still see the piles of these stones. They are carved. They're the size of automobiles. See, when Rome destroyed a city, it wanted to make sure that this city would never recover. And in a lot of ways, Jerusalem still hasn't. In between the con condemnation of the religious leaders and the promise of his second coming, now remember, there were those who missed his first coming. There will be those who miss his second. There were those who didn't understand when he came the first time. There will be those who are caught off guard the second time. Understand, the coming of Jesus will not be good news to everybody. And in between that moment, Jesus saw Jerusalem. 
And when he did, it broke his heart. Now, there is a path that they think Jesus was on. The scholars have studied this enough. There's a path that's going, and if you go on a Holy Land tour, they'll take you on this path. And if you walk a certain step, and if you go just a certain way, you'll come up to a rise in the path. And when you come to the top of that little hill, Jerusalem is suddenly spread before you. It's just one moment you can't see it, and the next moment you can. And they think that this is where Jesus was when he wept over Jerusalem. One moment he couldn't see the city, the next moment he did, and it spread out in front of him and he could see the whole city of David. And when he did, it broke his heart because he knew what was coming. He knew what would happen. And he begged for them to change their mind. I would have taken you under my wings and protected you the way that a hen takes her chicks under her wings and protects them. But you wouldn't have it. You didn't want that. And now you're left on your own. People are always debating why a loving God will send someone to hell. He doesn't. We choose it. And you choose it and keep on choosing it. And choose it and choose it and choose it day after day after day, invitation after invitation after invitation. And finally, when you are there, the hell of hell is that you chose it. There were other places, there were other options, but this is where you chose to be. And a few years after Jesus is crucified there in Jerusalem, this city is destroyed, and they would have chosen their own destruction. And it broke Jesus' heart. We have these stories over and over again in Scripture where someone who loves a people will have their heart broken. Um, Abraham. Abraham's heart was broken for Sodom and Gomorrah. And we have that beautiful scene where, where Abraham is trying to cut a deal with God so he can save Sodom and Gomorrah. Moses weeps for the people of Israel, the tribes, and begs God not to destroy them. Tells God, if you're going to kill anybody, kill me first. Paul weeps for the Jews and he writes in Romans, if I had the chance, I would swap my own salvation for theirs so that they could know the risen Christ and I would give up my relationship with Jesus if my brothers and sisters would just come to know him. Whose heart breaks for Brentwood? Whose heart breaks for Tennessee? Oh, I, I know what you're saying. <laughs> Mike, this is a great place to live. And it is. But you're not paying attention. Do you know the state of Tennessee has one of the highest rates of suicide in the nation? Do you know one of the top counties in Tennessee? 
Williamson. Young men, young women, middle-aged men. who can't find meaning, who can't find a purpose. We live in a culture that is desperate for meaning and desperate for purpose, and we've become so confused and so upside down that we're telling people, well, you find your own meaning. You find your own purpose. You, you, your purpose, your meaning is whatever you think it is, whatever you feel it is. Do you understand when our world is telling our young people to make their decisions based off their emotions? Now, emotions are a wonderful thing. They give life its color. But they are lousy decision makers. Hey, do you understand that right now there are two books that are making the, uh, all, of the, all the rounds and all the raves, and they're by two guys. One of them is by a guy named Jordan Peterson who is a uh, Toronto psych uh, psychologist, psychotherapist, who's written a wonderful book called 12 Rules for Life. He is, the, he is the U2 sensation because he's confronting the language used about uh, gender equality and how governments are forcing you to use language, and he's rebelled against that. He's become a U2 sen uh, sensation. He now has a book called 12 Rules for Life that he calls an antidote to chaos. First chapter? Stand up straight with your soldiers, shoulders back. David Brooks' new book, Second Mountain. First Mountain is all about success. It destroyed his marriage, almost destroyed his life. David Brooks explores the four commitments that define life of meaning and purpose to a spouse and family, to a vocation, to a philosophy of faith, to a community. Meaning is found in the relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen. That begins by understanding that you're created in the image of God. Amen. That you were created on purpose for a purpose. That your life is so meaningful and so precious that on the day the world demanded the price for your life, Jesus paid it with his own And it's not a matter of our choosing. It's a matter that God has chosen us. And our world doesn't know that. Because the church has been silent. So people like David Brooks write books. People like Jordan Peterson write books trying to fill the void that we have left because we have remained silent. Because you think your friends are okay. You know, one of the great heresies of, the war, of, of Christian theology is called universalism. You know what the teaching is? That everybody makes it to heaven. Okay? Everybody goes to heaven. Sooner or later, everybody ends up there. That's called universalism. Now, I know if I ask you that question, you would give me the right answer. You would check the right box. 
if I watched how you live during the week, you and I live as practical universalists. We believe our friends will be okay. No, they won't. Have you ever noticed there are no sad songs in church? We live in Nashville, Tennessee, the center of sad songs. <laughs> and you'll see people getting out of cars all the time, wiping their eyes, telling you it's allergies. No, they just heard some sad song. There are no sad songs here, are there? There are no songs that says, I'm praying for my friend and I don't know how to reach him. There are no songs that says, my friend has had a hard life that makes him doubt that you're there at all and I don't know how to reach him. There are no songs like that, are there? Because we don't want our hearts broken. It hurts. And it hurts for a long time. We've all prayed for our friends, and we pray two, three, four days. And it just hurts too much. Pick up your cross. Follow me. That's the cross. The burden of a world that will slip away when it gets too dark. What breaks your heart? Your neighbor next door? Your friend at work? Do you stay in prayer a little longer just because you want to make sure Jesus understands how serious this moment is? try to think about what heaven would be like, what hell would be like. And everything we have in the Bible is, is a descriptor, a metaphor. But I've seen hell. I saw it with my dad and his mother. His mother had hardening of the arteries, Alzheimer's. Called it hardening of the arteries then. And she had gone back to a place before my daddy was born, and she didn't know my dad. Every time we would go back to his home, we would go by and see his mom, and we hated going. My brother and I hated going. Why? Because it tore our dad up. And I can remember my dad getting on his knees in front of his mother putting his hands on the arm of the chair and leaning into her face as close as he could get. 
Mama, it's me. Mama, it's Marshall. And she would pat him on the head and say, you're a cute boy. And my daddy would fall in chunks to the floor, totally gone to pieces. His mama didn't know him. My mother and I would help dad get back to the car and try to get his life back together. Now, can you imagine standing in front of the Jesus who created you? Jesus, it's me. It's Mike. And him saying, I don't know you. It's not the fire that makes hell hell. It's knowing that God isn't there and he's not coming. Does that break your heart for your friends? Are you willing to stay in the conversation just a little longer to see if some moment for you to say something about who Jesus is to you comes up? Are you willing to pray a little longer? It all starts with a broken heart. Jesus had his heart broken for Jerusalem. If we follow him, our heart will be broken for some place too. Our heart will be broken for someone who breaks your heart. Let's pray together. If your head's bowed and your eyes closed, I'm not going to do anything to put you on the spot or embarrass you, but I just... I want you thinking about your neighbors. I want you to walk down the end of the driveway in your imagination. Look down your street and up your street. And have your heart broken for your neighbors who do not know Jesus Christ. For the members of your family who do not know Jesus Christ. For your co-workers who do not know Jesus Christ. Yes, I know. Having your heart broken hurts. I understand that. Well, that's what bearing your cross means. Perhaps you're here and you're looking for a church family. We would welcome you. Our counselors are waiting out at a, at a table that says, next step, let us help you get that process started. Or maybe you're here. And you never heard that you were created on purpose for the purpose. You never heard about how Jesus died for you. About how he covered your sins with his own death. 
I, I know I'm saying a whole lot, just a whole handful of words, but you know something's got to change. You know you can't keep on living like you're living. Our counselors, our ministers are waiting for you right now at the same table. Just go say, hey, I want to know more about what Mike was talking about. Help me understand who Jesus is. We'll spend whatever time we need to so you can leave here different than you came in here. The Lord is waiting for you where you are. The church will wait for you as you come. Lord Jesus, every life is now open, every heart 